In episode 79 of The Byword, Dave and I will be giving you three characters from each of the big two comic book publishers that are supremely underrated and deserve a whole lot more love. So grab your cape and cowl and activate your X-Gene because The Byword begins now. Greetings and salutations once more, my fellow nerds. Welcome into the Nerd By Word, the only podcast that is guaranteed to get you through the Thanksgiving hangover even better than the leftovers. We also keep our turkey properly moistened. For today's By Word Big Talk, we wanted to shed some light on some supremely underappreciated characters that deserve more from both uh, more love from both fans and the publishing houses in which they reside. But first, it is the customary time for... Dave, we tried our best to fix the sequel trilogy, but it would appear that Lucasfilm is going to have the last laugh. Well, I don't know. I, I need a moment first still to wrap my head around your moistened turkey. How how moist do you keep your turkey, Chris? That's what I want to know right as now. As moist as possible and smothered in gravy. I feel really weird about the word moist. I don't think I'm the only one who thinks there's something no, really um, inappropriate about this yeah, word. Two of my sisters do as well, and I regularly send them videos just saying the word, so... Now, see, that, that, that is some nerd news right there for you. The word moist will annoy your sisters. All right, well, uh, let's talk about Star Wars for a second. You know, I've been carefully carefully monitoring all the rumor mill around Star Wars. Now that the sequel trilogy has come to an end, there seems to be a big focus on, you know, the Disney Plus offerings, you know, stuff like uh, the Book of Boba Fett, the upcoming new season of The Mandalorian, uh, the much talked about and many, many rumors surrounding the Ben Kenobi series and, the, of course, the Ahsoka series. So there's interesting stuff coming to Disney Plus, and yet here we stand with um, very, very little in the way of what is the theatrical re, uh, direction of the franchise moving forward. And so, you know, there have been rumors about uh, several different, you know, movie projects, and and the rumor mill has been churning now that many of those are slowly being canceled away, uh, including Patty Jenkins' much ballyhooed um, Rogue Squadron. So if that is really truly the case, where do we stand with the future of Star Wars on the big screen? Well, apparently, uh, if you kind of dig through some of the statements being made by actors involved in the sequel trilogy, maybe we'll get a sequel sequel trilogy, or at least some spinoffs, perhaps, that are character-specific. I'm pulling here uh, several different things together. But uh, first, um, there was, of course, uh, an interview uh, with John Boyega in 2020 uh, on uh, Jake's Takes, where Boyega spoke about how he would be open to returning to uh, Star Wars. Um, and here's the quote, whichever way I'm open to the conversation, as long as it's Kathleen, as Kathleen Kennedy, JJ, as in JJ Abrams, and maybe someone else in the team, it's a no-brainer. So Boyega has uh, expressed interest already last year in possibly returning. 
Um, this is interesting in light of the fact that very recently, uh, as in just a couple of days ago, we uh, heard that Adam Driver, Kylo Ren himself, even though his character met an untimely or timely fate, I mean, it really depends on how you feel about the character, is also open to returning to future Star Wars projects. And so here is the quote from him uh, from Unilad. Uh, no, I'm not totally against it. For me, it's a filmmaker's medium, so my only thing is working with great filmmakers. Whatever the size, it's never been interesting to me to an extent. There's interesting things about working on both. I always just follow people I'd be interested in working with and whether I'd be right for the part, things like that. So no, definitely not averse, and that's not averse to returning to Star Wars. So with those kinds of statements out there in the nerd sphere, obviously there are some questions. Could we perhaps be getting um, a Kylo Ren sort of prequel, sort of the story of how he fell? Could we get a sequel that focuses on John Boyega and his character? Like what exactly is the future direction of Star Wars on the big screen, and could we be getting more from the characters from the sequel trilogy? I guess only time will tell, but the actors at the very least seem to be, if not interested, then definitely not averse to at least talking about returning to their roles. So what do you think, Chris? I think I tweeted this out, but if it's not Finn's continuing story and and, and the redemption on the side of how badly they mistreated that character and John Boyega, I don't want it. So if John Boyega is willing to come back after his character was just tossed away like that, uh, if he's willing to do that, then I'm all in. I, I don't know that I'm very interested in any more Kylo Ren content. I think we have completely squeezed everything out of that sponge, but I am absolutely here for any new Finn content. You know, and I really do wonder that they, they talk so much about how um, the sequel trilogy wrapped up what they called the quote unquote Skywalker saga. Um, so, okay, we put a pin in that whole family, but um, where do you go from here? You know, obviously, what whatever you do next cannot be as nostalgia fueled because you can't rely on the uh, on the original trilogy nostalgia and the original actors coming back and all that. So, what what do you do? Do you move forward into the future? You know, do you move back into the past and try to do something old republic? If you had the choice of really like anything for the direction of Star Wars, Chris, where do you think it should go next as far as what they're showing on the big screen? I. You know, my mantra is always, always forward, never backward. Um, I I was left with a little bit of a dangling with as laborious as The Rise of Skywalker was, that hint of, of Finn being Force-sensitive as well. So I would be happy to pick that up uh, with Finn's character and, and spinning out of that. I my, my only reservation of that is I think Ray's story has been all the way told. And like I said, Kylo, that, that, I don't think there's anything else there. Um, the, the old Republic and seeing the Jedi in their heyday and not like their immediate downfall. And then, you know, going to waste of space that, that might be fun. But aside from that, I, I, I'm not really sure. I'd like some new uncharted territory and not, not going all the way backwards. See, I feel very similar. A lot of fans seem to be clamoring for some kind of old Republic movie. And and I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing. I think Star Wars, on the big screen at least, 
is going to have to go through some kind of radical reinvention. Yeah. It's going to have to find something new to say because you, like I said, you can't really rely on uh, nostalgia fuel anymore at this point. It's it's time for something new. All right, Chris, what do you've got this week? It seems like we're going to be talking about uh, award-winning directors having a bad, bad day. Yeah. Well, it would appear that legendary director Ridley Scott is fully leaning into the old man yelling at clouds stereotype, blaming his latest box office flop, The Last Duel, on the current generation and their presumed addiction to technology. Talking with Mark Marin on the WTF podcast, Scott said, quote, Disney did a fantastic promotion job. The bosses loved the movie. I was concerned it was not for them. I think what it boils down to, what we've got today are the audiences who were brought up on these effing cell phones. The millennium do not ever want to be taught anything unless you're told it on a cell phone, end quote. So uh, this comes after he pulled the token Hollywood elitist move, looking at you, Martin Scorsese, of taking a rather large doo-doo on the current trend of superhero films, saying that they have effing terrible scripts and all of this. So... Uh, the Last Duel is a film that's set in the Middle Ages that stars, believe it or not, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Um, not something that you would just usually group together. Uh, I don't I don't get medieval Knight's Tale from the bros from Boston. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. Also knew nothing about this movie. So he, te- he says that they did a fantastic promotion job. I heard nothing about it until it made headlines that it flopped. So, um, it's, and, and the reason I put this in nerd news is he is because mostly of, of the, dump, the dumping on superhero movies. And it just seems like, you know, and this is a legendary director who's done sci-fi stuff like Blade Runner, the alien movies. um, who like it seems like the the current trends and what's popular has just passed him by and um it's just fascinating to me instead of you know paying homage to people who are being successful and maybe evolving and with the times it's being you know immovable object and stuck in their way so that's that's a fascinating trend to me as someone who has made big name sci-fi fantasy type films and then you know casting aspersions of something that is not completely out of left field in comparison yeah this is such an interesting case in a lot of ways to me chris you know it's exactly as you said you know here is somebody who has been a genre filmmaker and at this point maybe buying a little bit into his own hype as an auteur and doesn't really um I, i guess associate with his roots anymore and feels a little bit like maybe he is above it all or those things are beneath him i don't know i think though it would be a mistake uh as a nerd to completely uh dismiss some of the things he says um or even you know directors in general Uh, there is one thing to be said for sure everybody has seen a metric crap ton of stuff um, promotionally speaking, about stuff like The Eternals or stuff like uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. But have we seen really a lot of promotion for this last duel? I, I don't think we have. And I think that that very much shows where the, um, the, the priority of the corporate overlords lay. And that is that right now, superhero fare is popular. 
is big bucks and that is where the resources are going that's where the promotional dollars are going and some movies may yes get a short shift from that um and i don't think we should dismiss it out of hand because you know i'm old enough to remember being a nerd and being in in you know in a in a drought of of nerdy content beyond the comic books i mean getting a good cartoon was a good day so you know this 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 wheel of hollywood's favor that is currently shining on superhero movies is probably not going to shine there forever and eventually we're probably going to see sort of an inversion again and and we could very well be in a position where the content that we love so much and that is currently making billions of dollars you know ends up being in the same spot as the last stool underpromoted um shunted aside uh, nobody knows about it. Nobody gives it a chance because there is a different new trend. There's a new popular kid in town. Um, as far as the cell phone thing, you know, that's just another content delivery mechanism. I think the only thing, and I think you could probably agree uh, with this to some extent with me since we're both in the education field. The only thing that I have noticed specifically about, you know, the influence of of cell phones on on consumers is that I think there's a much, much shorter attention span. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, TikTok, you know, you have these these five to 10 second videos or whatever. Um, you know, you, they deliver fast. And so sitting down and watching a two-hour movie is, is maybe not um, the thing that this generation really wants to sink its teeth into. There is something to be said for... Um, you know, those that kind of filmmaking and something that's a little more meticulous and takes its time and isn't, you know, boom, boom, boom. Um, you know, very flashy sort of special effects heavy filmmaking. Um, and I'm sure that's kind of what The Last Duel ended up being in some respects. And so it's definitely not for the shorter attention span crowd. Um, so that that is certainly a problem uh, when it comes to like, you know, media consumption and stuff. Um, yeah, but ultimately, man... It's Ridley Scott. I, I can't ignore the guy completely, even though it feels like, like you said, he's just an old man yelling, you know, get off my lawn or something. <laughs> um, to, to a certain extent, uh, this is a guy who has, you know, made genre movies that were critical darlings, and now he's making movies and the wheel has turned. And I, I know there's, there's a part of me that sees it coming and I dread the day when the wheel turns again. And and maybe being a nerd isn't a hip thing anymore. I mean, I lived it once, and I would not be surprised if we if we come back around to that. So, so that's my random rambling musings on 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 Ridley Scott's comments, Chris. One thing that just popped into my head is when he talks about you know promotional stuff, he does have another film that is currently out, The House of Gucci, and that has been advertised out of the wazoo. I mean, with names like Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Al Pacino, you're going to get advertising from that. And that has seen uh, has not been so well received. So um, maybe maybe there's a, a connective link here uh, and, and maybe there's something that maybe he would want to reexamine. But um, yeah, you, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to attention span. I, I think, you know, for example, uh, if there's any Wi-Fi issues for like uh, our, our kids stuff and, and it takes more than five seconds to load a Web page they're ready to toss the computer across the room. So yeah. Um, and, and, and it's to the point now where like, for example, our lectures and stuff, if we're not constantly changing, if we, if we do a traditional lecture for more than 10 minutes, they're completely lost. So yeah, I think I, I definitely agree with you that uh, attention wise. 
And that is eventually going to affect, you know, cinema. I mean, we can already see that with stuff like the Transformers movies, which I am not a big fan of. I think qualitatively they are um, very much in the vein of what Ridley Scott is talking about with superhero movies, which is that the scripts are very, very bad. The stories are unsubstantial. Um, But you know, things go boom in very quick succession. You know, you never have a 10 minute beat without a big boom. And that seems to be very much the filmmaking that we're getting for the, the low attention span uh, generation that we have brought up now. Um, and that is regrettable. I, I, I will say that is regrettable because, you know, the, the kind of filmmaking that takes its time and doesn't feel constrained to, to action beats every few minutes just to keep people's attention. Um, that kind of filmmaking has value as well. And I don't want that to get lost. Some of my all time favorite movies, you know, have, have no action beats. Um, so I, I, I don't want that kind of filmmaking to get lost due to, uh, let's call it the iPhone generation, if you will. Yeah. I will say that um, I think the one kind of outlier in that regard are like true emotional connections. Like I've seen some people criticize, the Eternals for being too long and not as action packed as, as other superhero films. But the one thing that a lot of people are gravitating towards, uh, and this is just one example are the emotional connections with that they have with the characters. So I think that is one thing that if you're going to not go as action heavy, if you can make an emotional connection with your audiences, I think that's the way to go. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. All right, that wraps up Nerd News. Uh, what are your thoughts on the stories that we brought today? Be sure to hit us up on social media at Nerd by Word with your thoughts as well. When we come back from this, our first break, we're going to hit you with our ByWord Big Talk characters that need to be featured ASAP. Welcome back to today's post-Thanksgiving meat and potatoes segment you know it as the byword. And in today's episode, Dave and I, we've we've really been focusing on characters that are underrepresented, that are kind of diamonds in the rough that we feel don't get enough love both from fans and from the publishing houses in which they reside. So we each picked three characters from both of the big two, Dave DC, myself Marvel, uh, that we think need some more love ASAP. So Dave, who is your first pick for a character that needs more love? I, I want to give all my love to Ralph Dibney, the elongated man. Um, now I will say, um, this is this sort of rant is more comic book related and sort of independent independent of the fact that the character actually made some significant appearances on the Flash television show, although that uh, has gone notoriously bad due to some comments made by the actor involved. But I have I have mad love for the elongated man, and I think in all he he kind of stands in the shadows of of the very funny, very over the top um, plastic man. Um, because they have, you know, similar stretchy kind of powers. But the cool thing about the elongated man is that he popped up initially uh, in the Flash 100, number 112 back in 1960 as a supporting character in uh, the Flash book. 
uh, he ended up sort of then spinning off into a solo backup feature in Detective Comics, which is really my jam. Uh, this is sort of the best version of the character to me. He uh, kind of became uh, a detective who's just uh, totally, you know, into odd mysteries. And he travels across the United States in a convertible with his wife, Sue Dibney. He's constantly looking for these mysteries and trying to solve them. And it's sort of just a really, really cool offbeat uh detective character um and of course things you know uh progressed for him he ended up being in the justice league for some years um and then you know brad Meltzer's uh, identity crisis came along where they uh killed off his wife sue in an absolutely horrible way the character kind of went adrift popped up in one of the absolute masterpieces of dc comics 52 um, where he was uh, sort of investigating, trying to find a way to bring his wife back, and ultimately um, lost his life trapping uh, the sorcerer Felix Faust and uh, DC's version of the devil, Neron, in this tower, sort of giving his life to trap those guys. And, and from that point, sort of the last shot we got in 52 was him and his wife as ghosts reunited, and he, like says i smell a mystery and it's just like that's the moment right i mean if you're going to have the elongated man dead then that that's the series and it never went anywhere really but but that would have been like the thing ralph and sue dibney ghost detectives i i mean i was i was waiting for it back after 52 and nobody ever touched it the cool thing to me about the elongated man is that he is sort of a character um in the vein of something like Columbo, you know, a a detective, but but sort of quirky, um, sort of offbeat, you know, like back when um, the USA Network had this whole like ca um, um, character thing going on, where like all their all their shows were like you know quirky detectives and stuff, like 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 Psych, for example. Like I think the Elongated Man fits perfectly into the the genre of sort of offbeat detective. And just having a series of him and his wife solving these really bizarre, weird mysteries across the DC universe, sort of the sort of um, ground level behind the scenes stuff that, you know, the Justice League, the Supermans and the Batmans would never deal with. Just a really odd that happens, you know, in DC comics and have them solving those kinds of mysteries. Dude, I want that series. I'm, I've been waiting for that series for years. Somebody do the series, Chris. I know, you know, that I'm not telling the truth. Man, I love Psych. love it so much. Oh, my psych God. Psych the stuff. You know, we, we need to just have, like, a, a Psych episode because I, I have watched that whole show, like, four times straight through. We kind of have that dynamic. You're very Gus. I'm Gus? Are you Gus? Really? I don't know. I, 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 now I feel Gussy. <laughs> i feel like i would take advantage of your credit card and your car if we were to team up like that no uh, you, you, you know what you probably you probably would yes <laughs> i'm i'm the the emoter and you're the structured logic based one very kirk and spock-esque yeah that actually that feels accurate so would so i have to ask chris would you buy a a sort of Columbo-ish inspired oh God. Yeah, that was the thing. story. You said Columbo, and I was, and I just had one more question. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's perfect, man. I'm sold on this. So, other than Fifty Two, that seemed to be like the ringing, 
reading guide endorsement, any other particular uh, things that you would recommend folks read? Oh, just, you know, the, the old backups in Detective Comics, any way you can, you know, get a chance to read those, they were a good deal of fun for the time period. I mean, you know, one, once they, they took him out of that, he has good moments and, you know, stuff like um, uh, formerly known as the Justice League, or I can't believe it's not the Justice League, or even like his appearances in, in the Justice League um, series, and he popped up. Uh, you know, sporadically from like se- from the seventies to like the nineties, I think that's all fine. But I think like the 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 elongated man at his very best is like those detective comics backups, and then the stuff he did in fifty two. I mean, he outsmarted the devil, man. It is so yeah. sweet how that whole whole storyline came together. He's just such an underrated, fantastic detective. I think he could give somebody like you know Batman a run for his money as far as detective skills in the comics. But he gets zero respect for it, and it's an absolute shame. He get no respect. That that that's a fact. I'd Chris, what is your first Marvel character that needs some love? Well, it's it's in the name Blue Marvel. I'm talking I'm talking Doctor Adam Brashear. Now, guys, I am wrapping up um, a masterpiece that is known as the Al Ewing Marvel read through, and it's going to be a nerd commendation. I'm a completionist, so I don't want to nerd commend it until I finish it all the way. But um, Doctor Adam Brashear is one of the most fascinating characters in all the Marvel universe, and like is barely known to most people. There was some speculation he was going to pop up in WandaVision um, due to his connections with Monica Rambeau. Um, they, they are a romantic pair in most of the iterations of the character. Um, power set wise, just a fascinating, fascinating character. He has antimatter energy, energy absorption. If you're talking power scales, it's on the same level of, you know, like the most cosmic beings, one of the most power, uh, one of the most powerful beings in all of the Marvel universe, superhuman strength, flight, antimatter manipulation, concussive force blast, energy pulse, super genius intelligence, probably the smartest person in the entire Marvel universe. And most of the, you know, common spectators of you know marvel content don't know who this guy is so um if you have not read al ewing's ultimates and ultimates 2 i highly recommend it um one of the most fascinating characters simply because of his his character history as well um is is very advanced in age he was around for like the 30s 40s and 50s like the civil rights era um so he's he's got an extremely long lifespan you know, that, that is coupled with his power set. Um, and just going through all of those things with the civil rights movement and being a black superhero, um, and, you know, dealing with discrimination, like with all this power and still being mistreated, uh, is just a fascinating thing to develop. He was friends with, um, Luke Cage's father. That'll give you another, an additional timeline, but, um, you know, as far as reading recommendations go, go read Ultimates and Ultimates 2 by Al Ewing. Um, also, he pops up in Ewing's Secret Avengers. But again, once I finish this Al Ewing read through, I'll do a full breakdown of all this. But yeah, Dr. Adam Brashear, hopefully he'll pop up in the MCU and that'll give him some more love. But I, I'm a massive, massive fan and probably the most underrated character in all of Marvel Comics. 
Now, see, I have to ask, you said Ultimates. Um, see, I, I'm, you know, an adherent of the old, you know, Marvel Ultimate Universe, Ultimate Spider-Man and all that. And so the Ultimates to me are basically like their version of the Avengers. Right. What, so what what is this like? This, this is kind of a different Ultimates? Or what, what's, yeah, what's this, is, this is a 616 proper um, team of like the best of the best. Like it's, it's almost like a, it's very similar to the Illuminati of like these, this kind of secret band of superheroes that typically deal in the most cosmic level threats. So the team is comprised of blue Marvel, um, Carol Danvers, T'Challa, uh, America Chavez, um, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anybody else. I'm pulling it up as we speak. Ultimates by Al Ewing. But yes, so it does bear some resemblances with, uh, and Monica Rambo, of course. Um, so yeah, that's the team. Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, Monica Rambo, Spectrum, T'Challa, Black Panther, Blue Marvel, Dr. Adam Brashear, and then America Chavez. And they deal with the most cosmic level, universe threatening uh events they take on um the first volume they take on um galactus himself so they deal with the biggest and the baddest of the threats to the universe so yeah and and not to mention the art by kenneth rook for is just absolutely stunning mesmerizing so yeah the ultimates by al ewing uh if nothing else is it's just like some of the coolest and most diverse superheroes that just get to flex so i absolutely love it but yes, it is. It is an homage to the Ultimate Universe, and there are a little bit of uh, Easter eggs and connections in there uh, for for what you're referencing as well, Dave. Now, see, that just makes me happy because I do, you know, I do miss the old Ultimate line quite a bit. But yeah, I, I had no idea about this Blue Marvel character, and I'll freely admit, you know, I'm I'm a novice when it comes to some of the more obscure characters. But you totally sold me on the guy. I'm I'm very curious to see more now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dave. Um, your next one is a question? Yeah, it's it's no no, it's it's the question as it turns out. So, you know, I'm going to have to dig deep into my bag of tricks, but you're going to hear a couple of names at least that I think uh, you know, are going to mean something to you. Like for example, one Steve Ditko. I I, I do believe you have some passing familiarity with the guy. Yeah, I've heard of the guy. Yeah, it turns out that he's actually the creator of the question. Um, the question uh, first appeared in Charlton Comics, Blue Beetle number one, back in June of 1967. Uh, of course, the Charlton characters were bought up by uh, DC in the early 80s. And so many of those characters, including the question, were sort of incorporated into the larger DC universe. The question um, is basically the the blueprint on which uh, the Watchmen character Rorschach is based. Uh, at the time uh, that Watchmen was being pitched, it was pitched as using the Charlton characters, um, but that was ultimately rejected uh, by DC Comics, and so these analogs were created. So, you know, the question looks pretty much how you would imagine him to look. You know, he's got this weird face basically he's faceless he has this mask on that makes him look like he has no face he's wearing a very traditional sort of detective getup with a fedora and all that and he's just you know a, a detective he had an absolutely fantastic uh series um in the late 80s that was really really good 
Um, but since then, it's been kind of all over the place with him. Rather than being, you know, the street-level faceless detective, they started doing some very odd things with him. Um, one of my favorite things they did with him actually goes back to, once again, um, the miniseries 52, for, for which I have mad love. Uh, during that time, the question Vic Sage was uh, not doing so hot. Um was feeling like he was going to die, and he took on a protege, uh, Rene Montoya, a uh, former cop with the Gotham City Police Department, and threw um, out the story. Uh, he basically passed uh, the mantle of being the question on to Rene Montoya. Um, and that was absolutely a fantastic version of the character. Rene Montoya made a wonderful question. But then, of course, uh, all good things had to come to an end thanks to the new 52 relaunch. At that point, they decided to make you know, Vic Sage, some kind of mystical thing, entity, weird, I don't even know. Um, and then DC Rebirth has brought him back sort of more to his traditional iteration. And I think there's even like a series that just wrapped up um, or is getting ready to wrap up called The Deaths of Vic Sage. But man, this is such a great character. And and the high point to me um, through through all of this is you know what 52 did with him this relationship with Rene Montoya this character that he kind of um you know bounced off of really really well you know this disillusioned cop and he takes uh, her under his wing and kind of trains her to be his his successor um so th the way Ditko kind of developed the character he was an adherent to like um uh what's that philosophy called objectivism um which is kind of what he acted like. Yeah, the on. Ayn Rand. Yeah, Randism, yes. Yeah, but it's much more interesting what they what they did to him later when DC had him because he kind of became like this, almost like this Zen figure. You know, he was he was very like you know very Zen as a character, which you know just fantastic to bounce him off of this very angry, disillusioned cop. Just really, really cool, you know, um, um, interactions between those two. So I would pay good money for that series for to, to just bring that dynamic back and have Vic Sage take on, you know, Rene Montoya as a protege. And instead of having it as like a subplot in a, in a major like series, like 52, just hit that as a solo question series. You could call it the questions with an S and you could have a really, really cool series as, you know, Vic Sage slowly tries to pass the mantle on to Rene Montoya and train her to take his place. I would totally be there for a series like that, Chris. Yeah, that's fascinating. And and I, I think we just have like detective interest. It's it's in our bloodstream at this point. So anytime you get like a procedural like types type stuff like this, you know, like we talk Columbo and stuff like that. I'm I'm absolutely here for it. And, you know, the question is a fantastic visual, and I think, still think it's the superior visual to Rorschach. I think, you know, the idea of, like, this this this, this faceless guy popping up in the dark and questioning you, like, you know, no eyes, no mouth, no nose, like, it'll scare the crap out of you. He has this really, really cool look about him. Um, he's just an iconic character and definitely not treated like an iconic character. Oftentimes at DC, it's an absolute shame. All right, Chris, who is the second character that you believe needs some mad love? Well, I'm going back to the well of Al Ewing again. I'm telling you guys, when I finish this run, it's going to be the nerd commendation to end all nerd commendations. But um, I'm going the White Tiger, Ava Ayala. Now, there, this is a legacy character that has changed hands. Uh, multiple characters have 
have held the mantle of the White Tiger, but I'm talking specifically of Eva Ayala, who uh, took the mantle from her niece, Angela del Toro. Um, her family is murdered by Gideon Mace, um, and then she takes on this um, this amulet, this amulet of the ancient tiger god. So, like, there's this mythos attached to the character that garners her power. Um, it's just really fascinating. Um, she showed up in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon a little bit and was super fun. But I'm talking specifically of, of Ewing's Mighty Avengers and New Avengers. Um, just absolutely fascinating character. Like there, there's one issue of Mighty Avengers. I want to say it's issue seven or eight where she goes into the amulet or something to that effect and battles the tiger God and masters it. And that's one of the, one of the standout issues for me. Um, but just a really, really fascinating character, very street level daredevil esque um, type character. She uh, is linked romantically with Victor Alvarez, the new power man um, who took over that moniker after Luke Cage, um, very street level and, and, it's just a fascinating, fascinating character. There's not nearly enough uh, Latinx representation in comics, I think, at large. We've got a few that we go to, like America Chavez and and Jaime Reyes's Blue Beetle. But I think that, to be completely honest, Latinx characters uh, and their representation are sorely lacking in mainstream comics. Um and, you know, with something like Marvel Voices, Comunidades coming out, I'm very, very excited about that to get the spotlight on those characters. So um, I'm a huge Ava Ayala fan, and particularly those Ewing runs of uh, New Avengers and Mighty Avengers are highly recommended. Um, and I just want to see more of that character because she has not really been popping up for the last couple of years of publication. So uh, I'm a huge fan, and I need more Ava Ayala. Now, see, here's another character that I knew absolutely nothing about, and you've already got me very interested. It seems to me like the more we talk here, I'm going to definitely have to do more Al Ewing. I've already been doing Immortal Hulk, but apparently I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go deeper into that's where this I'm man's at. Marvel that's career. That's where I'm at. Yep. Yeah, well, man, we can talk about Immortal Hulk one day too when you're done with it. That 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 sucker is something special. All right, Dave. Um, you got a funny one for the last one. Ah, I, I see what you did there. Look, you know, it would it would not be, uh, you know, a Dave recommendation if there wasn't at least some kind of really odd, strange, deep cut character that, you know, has made like almost no appearances or is just generally, you know, perceived to be a one off or a joke or something. And dude, I'm going to tell you, I have to talk about the jokester a little bit, not the joker or the jokester. The Jokester is the Earth-3 version of the Joker, and it's the arch-nemesis of Owlman, the, that Earth's analog of Batman. Owlman, of course, is a bad guy. His sidekick is Robin. It's Talon. And so naturally, it made sense for that, that Earth's Joker, the Jokester, to be a hero. So here we have uh, the Clown Prince of Crime reinvented as uh, a good guy. And I'm going to tell you, man, um, this particular um, character ha really did it for me. I loved 52, as I've mentioned now twice already, and there was a sequel of sorts to 52, another 52-issue series called Countdown, and it was everything that the 52 was not. Uh, Countdown was bad. It, it, was, it, it was bad. Um, it just didn't work on, on about 40 different levels. Um, 
let me rephrase that. It didn't work on 52 different levels, <laughs> one level for each issue. But there was one wonderful, wonderful special um, where, you know, you had a group of characters traveling through the multiverse and they come across Earth 3 and they encounter the jokester and everything in this man's appearance worked. His relationship with Three-Face, yes, Three-Face, the fact that he has a daughter uh, called the jokester's daughter, Duella Dent, everything in the, everything just worked. And then the next, very next issue, they just immediately killed this character off. And, you know, I would love to see uh, a miniseries or even an ongoing set on Earth 3, where you have, um, you know, all these superhero analogs that are actually villains, like Owlman, um, and then go ahead and, like, build sort of their version of the Justice League taking on these good guys, but they're all, like, hero versions of villains led by the jokester oh, man i would i would read the crap out of that series just because that one appearance of the jokester completely hit it was great from start to finish his interactions with other characters his his rivalry with Owlman, just seeing that biting wit that the joker usually throws at people coming out of a good guy is absolutely fascinating and i would so be there for a series like that there is such an obsession with like you know batman related characters and stuff um so if you're going to play that game and just do like you know you know dc comics nothing but batman or something at least give us like an alternate version of the joker i don't think the joker himself needs a series but the jokester man i'm there for that chris yeah you weren't kidding with your deep cuts here man uh <laughs> This is this is fascinating. I'm I'm always been a huge fan of like alt universes and like and and then I think that you you touched on this before is like if we have an established like history with those characters and understanding because like um and I think this goes all the way back to our our conversation with John Jackson Miller of like these these focal points in a character's history a uh, uh, proverbial fork in the road like where did it go from here versus here and like how did we get to this end point and i think that's just something fascinating to tackle you know and even not being as well versed as i'd like to be in the dc universe i obviously know the joker but like so seeing a different spin on this type of character is just fascinating something that one of the most you know famous infamous characters truly of comics being on the side of the light is just a fascinating thing to even think about. And and even to take this a step further, can you then imagine a multiversal crossover where the jokester meets the Joker? Yeah. Or where the jo- or where the jokester meets Batman? That the gold interactions you could get out of that. Like I could not believe they killed off the jokester before he got to interact with Batman in some way never happened such a shame such a missed opportunity yeah that's, that's just, a loss yeah that stuff just writes itself man all right chris your final character from marvel that needs some love well it wouldn't be a chris uh you know free choice episode what have you without a mutant being represented so um i'm talking about oya whose um birth name is ej okonkwo uh, from nigeria and one of the recent creations, uh, one of the most recent mutants, um, you know, coming after the turn of the century with um, the, the mutant um, messiah complex with, um, with Hope Summers. 
Um, and Edie is a 14 year old living in um, her village in Africa and, and truly is a fascinating character because her power set is the ability to control the temperature around her. She can raise the temperature a la heat and fire or dramatically lower the temperature. So similar to Iceman's powers, a very similar power set to um, something like Todoroki of My Hero Academia. And, and, and a lot of folks claim that they are inspired by one another or something of that effect. But um, she's truly fascinating because when her powers, her mutant powers activate, she accidentally burns down her entire village and is, of course, traumatized by this. And that lays into her whole backstory. She's also a very, very religious um, Christian woman. And, you know, with her mutant power causing the damage that it did, she internalizes that and sees herself as this demon, demonic entity. Um, and so, like, you know, if you go to the metaphor of, you know, that that is very in line with, People who are raised in a religious, um, you know, background, but, you know, come to the discovery that they are of the LGBTQ community um, and then battling those inner demons. It's a really, really fascinating um, development. Um, a really great one. One of my favorite things about Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, which I mostly enjoyed about 80 to 85 percent of it. Um, when you have Logan and Storm hooking up, that is absolute trash and should never be done like lame lame super lame but one of my favorite things about that run is eda's character development um the way that she puts quentin choir in his place um kid omega is trash and needs to be put in check and she regularly did that even if they did kind of date that was weird but teenagers are gonna teenager um and then just watching her development of self-acceptance and you know, just character growth, you know, especially having a mentor like Logan, who's lived for centuries and dealt with like the, that internal conflict of being this man, this monster and stuff like that. So that's a fascinating thing to develop. And she has completely gone off the grid after schism and all of that. She hasn't really shown up other than like one or two panels in the Krakoa era. So that was really, really, um, um, disappointing. She's Catholic, excuse me. So specifically Catholic. Um, and you know, that's, you know, that's always a, a fascinating thing to dive into, um, you know, with characters like daredevil and, and to the, just the juxtaposition of your actions versus, you know, your faith. And that's always something interesting to look at, um, with superpowered individuals. Um, but I'm really disappointed that she hasn't shown up a lot more, uh, in, in the Krakoa era, in this, in this era of, you know, this new age for mutantdom and, and kind of a paradigm shift. Um, I, I don't liken it to a utopia um, because there are still, you know, difficulties with nation building, um, you know, with something like we saw in, in Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther. And I think we've discussed previously, um, just because you, you finally have uh, solemnity, you don't necessarily have utopia. There's still a lot of, you know, heavy lifting done here, but I would like to see what this character can do now that she doesn't have to fear for her life just be because she's born differently or, you know, um, what, what's she doing now? And we haven't seen her, uh, exclusively in a couple of years and, and I need more. Oh yeah. 
yeah, this is a character I have never heard before. So for me, this is about as deep of a cut as the jokester. Um, and I have to say, I'm surprised that this character hasn't popped up in the Krakoa era. Now, obviously, uh, I have a long documented uh, awkward history with the Krakoa era. I keep trying to get into it and it never quite works for me. But this character is fascinating enough. I'm, I'm actually shocked that uh, this character hasn't gotten like a mini series or a one shot or something. Um, because there's definitely something here. Like, I would, I would be interested in reading more about Oya. All right, those are our six characters that need more love immediately from both of the big two. Who do you think that we missed out on our list? Uh, send us your names, your recommendations for characters that need more love, ASAP, at NerdByWord on Twitter and Instagram. When we come back from this, our final break, it is time for our patented nerd commendations. Stick around. All right, welcome back to our final segment. You know it as Dave. It's very rare that we both have a DC recommendation, but here we are. Yeah, but you're cheating. I mean, you're going to be talking about Stephanie Williams. I mean, that. You, let's be honest. We we would follow. <laughs> we would we would follow Stephanie no matter which publisher she was at. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah, so my recommendation this week is uh, the current ongoing Robin series written by Joshua Williamson with uh, art by Gleb Milnikov. Um, th- this one kind of took me by surprise. I didn't really have uh, a lot of expectations of what they could do with a, a Robin series. I've written, uh, I've read a lot of Robin. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of the original Chuck Dixon run, for example. Uh, so whenever there's been a Robin uh, solo, I, I, I read it. And, and this one, I have to say, is really top notch. So in the story going on right now, and I believe it just hit issue seven um, this past week, Damian Wayne is forced to find his own path as Robin away from both sides of his family, from Bruce Wayne and from Talia al Ghul, uh, the daughter, of course, of uh, the al Ghul, who shall forevermore be mispronounced by everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you see how I dodged that, right? Raish, Roz, I've heard both. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, he goes both ways, let's put it that way. Um so in, in this particular story, he uh, learns of a tournament called the League of Lazarus Tournament. And he decides to enter this tournament in an attempt to win it and to unravel the secrets of the island where all this is happening. Um, and the way it's set up is that all the fights in this tournament are to the death. And you can die uh, and be resurrected three times. So basically, you have three lives. But your final life, if you die on this island, you're dead. Um and, and it's just really, really interestingly structured how he tries to investigate what's going on on this island, um, gets tested, you know, with all these different one-on-one fights. Um, it reintroduces uh, some very, very cool characters that we've not seen in a while, uh, such as uh, Ravager, Rose Wilson, who has a long history with, you know, the Teen Titans, both as a member and an enemy. Um, it reintroduces uh, Green Arrow's son, Connor Hawk, uh, in in this series as well as one of the enemy combatants who's been basically raised by the bad guys. Um, and it also introduces some interesting um, new characters, um, such as Flatline, who seems to be a, a bit of a, a love interest for, for a love interest for Damian Wayne. So 
Um, Damien is kind of really hard to get right in my book. I think, you know, obviously Grant Morrison, who created the character, has probably the best handle on him. But, you know, he can be an incredibly ab- abrasive character, uh, which he should be. I mean, he's Damien Wayne. But you, if you don't write him with a certain degree of heart as well, then he just comes across as a jerk and nobody really wants to read about this particular jerk. But man, I have to say, Joshua Williamson, really, he he's hitting it. Like, the voice of Damien is pretty much spot on here. Um, the story is interesting. Uh, you really like where it's going. The action is really good. The art really, really sings. Uh, Glett Malkinoff is doing just a fantastic job on the art. And so I'm, I'm just happy with this book altogether, both as a longtime DC fan, seeing some old familiar faces pop up again. Um, man, you know, Connor Hawk was Green Arrow for a long time and, and was, of course, Green Arrow in my favorite uh Justice League series, JLA by Grant Morrison. So seeing him again is just like a real, real, you know, pleasure. So this this series is just really, really fun from top to bottom, Chris. Yeah, this has been on my to-read list for a long time. And one of my go-to DC characters, even in my limited exposure, is Damian Wayne, because there's just something uh, about that character that fascinates me. I always have gravitated towards that uh person of two worlds if you will you know like his heritage speaking being the child of both bruce wayne and talia al ghul you know and and having this internal obligation to his father and his mother's side of the family and the and the league of assassins and all of that has just always been fascinating to me i think he's the most complex robin at least in my experience and and just the most interesting one and you know with with Bruce having all of these surrogate sons um, to have his actual son. I think that lay, uh, you know, adds on another layer of fascination for me. So I'm definitely, it's been in my to read, uh, to read pile for quite some time, but I'm going to have to get my button gear. Yeah, I would say so. Get, get your button gear, Chris, because this one is really not to be missed. It's just such a fun book. I'm also basking in the glory of a mortal Hulk. So. Well, there is a lot of glory to bask in on that series. I'll tell you that. (laughs) All right, Chris, so what is uh, your nerd commendation this week? Well, you tipped it uh, a little bit ago, but this is a Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala stand podcast and love both of them and love the work that they're doing on Nubia and the Amazons. So we had, um, you know, our extensive sit down with Stephanie um, before the book came out. Uh, we are now two issues deep. And I could not be happier with it. It's so fascinating. And it's, you know, it's an area of the DC universe that I am embarrassingly noob-y on. Oh, that was a pun. Yeah. So I know nothing about the Wonder Woman world. I know nothing about Themyscira, other than there's only women there. Um, And the art on the series, I I neglect to mention, is done by Aletha E. Martinez and is one of my favorite artists in the game right now. And the artwork on this series is absolutely breathtaking. It's, it's so effervescent. It feels like you're there on the mascara, even though Dave were not allowed. Um, it, it is absolutely fascinating. And so basically what happens, uh, this takes place after the events of infinite frontier and Nubia is now the queen of the mascara. Um, and I think for me, the most fascinating thing about this book is is the same thing that fascinates me about what Donny Cates is doing on Thor. Um, 
is after all these years, centuries of being a warrior and just being, uh, as you know, Kate puts it in Thor, the hammer of Asgard, or or in Nubia's case, like this guardian of Themyscira and the and Doom's doorway. Um, now you're in this place of leadership, and you are now in charge of everything. And just how do you? tussle with that new leadership role and not just a leadership role but the leadership role and i think that's the most fascinating thing to me not to mention the well of souls being brought back um into play and uh, a large number of new amazons are coming through this well of souls but something sinister has creeped its way into themiscara as well not to mention uh the first trans woman uh, Amazon in Bia is is fascinating and just wonderful representation. Uh, there's so much to love about this series, from the art to the the dialogue, the storytelling. It's issue two um, has a, a beautiful interaction between Nubia and um, the goddesses. It's just a fascinating series, and I cannot wait for more. To my great shame, and I will freely admit this, Chris, I have not been able to read the first two issues of Nubia and the Amazons shame, yet. Shame, shame, yeah, shame. Yeah, I, I will go. I will go stand in a corner right now. I'm so excited to start reading this. I, I actually am a little bit versed in the world of Wonder Woman, uh, one of my favorite characters, period. And so seeing this uh, exploration of the Amazons from a different perspective is something I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, so I'm going to go stand in a corner in shame until I finally get a hold of these first two issues, all right? Yeah, not to mention some of the most glorious cover art, variant covers and main covers that we've seen uh, in comics between, you know, the Sway covers, the Sozo covers, absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to get into this thing. All right, that wraps up episode 79. It's been 79 weeks, Dave. 79. Uh, 79 of the Nerd by Word podcast. We thank you so much for listening and humoring us nerds. Um, please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, rate, review on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio app, Amazon, or nerdbyword.com. And of course, find us on social media. We would love to hear more from you. How do you feel about our episode? Do you think we're doing all right? What are some things that we can improve? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord and individually at that nurse, Nerd Chris and at that Nerd Dave. Yeah, not a nurse though. Um, <laughs> nurse Dave. <laughs> hey. Um, and as always, stay well and stay nerdy, my friends. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.